thank you so much for taking the time to do the interview with us. Um, I, of course, you know, not to, not to uh, harp on the point too much, but Meredith and I obviously are huge fans of The Dark and the Wicked. We love the film. You give an amazing per- performance in it as mother. Um, and I, of course, wanted to know how you came to this role and you dropped a bomb on me moments before we started recording where you were like, do you want to hear about the ghost story (laughs) that has to do with how I came to the role? And I was like, Oh, Julie, that's all I want to hear. That's all I want to hear. Tell us, tell us the ghost story. Let's see if I can make this brief because it was quite, quite a year and so many bizarre things tied into the dark and the wicked. And so I'll try to do it as succinctly as I can. Did you get, you got the Instagram pictures. Oh, did I? And I'm going to post the accompanying uh, photos. Don't worry. um, Because it really adds to the story, but yes, I did get them. So uh, I know the audience can't hear, but it's a beautiful green Victorian dress with velvet. A friend handmade it. And I thought it was so beautiful, I bought a mannequin to display it on. So uh, I'm being light right now, but it actually starts very dark. Um, my neighbor, and she's okay with sharing the story, had a son. Uh, she had a hard life, and he had a hard life. He was bipolar, OCD, um, just all kinds of issues, and a heroin addict. Mm. And just a month shy of turning 22, he died alone of an overdose in a car behind a Denny's. Oh, wow. And um, there was a lot of trouble around it, a lot of trial, which, as you know from ghost stories, is a recipe for activity. So, and I think I told you the thing, I'm a, I'm a sensitive. Now, let me say first, I'm also a scientist. I have a master's in engineering geology, so I always looked at things with a skeptical eye. But a lot of people in my family have some sight. A lot of activity. My neighbor, whose son it was, her digital clock turned upside down. Not backwards, just upside down. And I was coming in my room one day. I was housing two friends, my ex-husband and a friend down on his luck. And I went in the room and something drew my eye. And I looked at the mannequin. And I did a double take because I went, it's moved. It's moved 180 degrees and it's rearranged. So I went into the guys. I go, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you pranking me? And they said, were you pranking me? So long story short, nope. It was actually something moving it. And um, this happened twice. And uh, I called in four people. I actually got a a pitch hitter exorcist to come and try to get rid of it. And uh, it just just made it mad it uh, actually threw some protections away from it oh my god and, uh, found a friend of a friend who was able to talk to it and uh, what she told me it, you know there's a lot of weird stuff I can't substantiate and what she said was it was a rider sometimes when there is great grief things will ride in on the grief mm-hmm. and what the pitch hitter exorcist also told me that even though it's not fair when there's great grief, like a widow loses a husband, for instance, the devil will find a way to come and use that grief 
to find a way in. This is what this guy told me a year before we shot The Dark and the Wicked. Wow. So I'm sure that informed your your yeah. performance. Yeah. And wow. guess what scene got cut but was shot almost a year to the date after the moving mannequins? It was a scene in the seamstress shop where the mannequins turned on their own volition. Oh, wow. Wow. And I got this, this script. It said, imagine you're being pursued by a relentless, unstoppable evil. What is it like to be able to deal with some of these feelings creatively? It's so cathartic. It's so validating because you think you're crazy. Mm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and to have Brian allow me to just go with it and feel it. And um, and that was another thing that happened during the audition. I remember what my film actor had, teacher had told me, don't be indulgent, but if it's real, there'll never be anything more real than what you're really experiencing. And I just let go, and I let all the fear overcome me and I taped the audition and I didn't even have to have a call back. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask you about the experience obviously of, of working with Brian. He's a, a genius. We're both huge fans of his, um, yeah. that, that farm that you guys filmed on is his family's farm, right? Uh, yes. And what I don't know is if they had it when he was growing up or when he was older Mm. But yes, and the room that that, that Michael was in, the son, mm -hmm. uh, that's the room that Brian sleeps in. Wow. I mean, that, yeah, that sounds that, so creepy to me, like to use your own history in a way that, that taps into something that primal, like, and then to yeah. give such freedom to the actors to kind of tap into that too. Like that, that feels like it's got to take a lot of work to create that environment. I don't know how Brian does it, but I will tell you that he took each of us aside. And and let me say, I'm nobody. If you look on my IMDb, on IMDb Pro, I'm like maybe have 28 credits. And uh, like uh, Tom Nowicki, Charlie's the first actor I met, and I looked at his IMDb and went, oh, crap, I can't look at anybody else's or I'll be overwhelmed. He has 156 <laughs> titles. Wow. Um, um, but uh, Brian treated each of us equally. Uh, it was just astounding. And he made you feel like you were the most important person there when he was talking to you. He gave you his full attention. But uh, the fact that he was so vulnerable with us, it was almost as if he was going, this is my pain. This is, this is what it is. Can you see the beauty right there? Not prideful, not dramatic just here I'm sharing it with you there it is yeah the whole thing and, sounds so intimate you know like you're on his family farm it's a small cast um what was the shooting schedule like did you guys stay overnight there or or what was the uh, situation it was wonderful no we stayed in a hotel um uh, most of us stayed in one I think Moran and Michael had a little bit separate place because obviously the weight of the movies on them so they need a little bit more uh, privacy. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, Charlie was upstairs for me. We used to go hiking at the Dinosaur Valley and uh, he didn't have a car. I'm a native Texan, so I just drove up from Houston. And um, 
then the dad, Michael Zaxt, he came a little bit later. We had overlapping, but it was luxurious. We had six weeks and I was there three and a half. And I had just plenty of days just to go explore and think and uh, visit with people. And we, we had little bowling parties and they actually gave me a little going away party when it was my wrap. So what was it like to have to be, to kind of work in such an intense emotional space for the film, but also actually have time and space to do it? You know, the the thing that people talk about a lot now in, in filmmaking is this intensity that's due to budget or time or some crunch. Like, it sounds like you had a lot of time to make a movie that ultimately is one of the more intense one I've seen in recent memory. It, it was, and, and how Marin held that together, because it was really hard. I know you don't do any spoilers, so uh, the kitchen scene, I'll just refer to the kitchen scene. Uh, mm. That was really draining for me. Mm. I, I can't watch horror because I have complete suspension of disbelief and... I have nightmares from it. I watched The Monster with a friend. He fast-forwarded what I couldn't watch. Uh, but I have not seen The Strangers, and neither has Marin. Oh, interesting. Marin is Don't do it. <laughs> uh, Marin, Marin only has only seen 15 minutes of The Dark and the Wicked. Wow. She's in it. She couldn't watch it. She's really sensitive. Oh, I have to say, I understand. I'm, I'm still like, I have to say, I think about the dark and the wicked at least once every day. Like it, as a recovering Catholic, it really tapped into this visceral fear of the devil in just like such a raw way that I really thought I didn't think it would affect me this much and it really did. So I fully understand um, avoiding if you're sensitive to material <laughs> like that. <laughs> well, and I must, I'm, I was raised in the Methodist church, but basically I'm Southern Baptist, which mm. as my friend says, means that you apologize to inanimate objects. You have so much guilt. Oh, I think. Yeah. Same that. with the Catholics. Yeah. Say I'm constantly you bump, apologizing. You, you, you yeah. You stub your toe on a chair and you go, oh, I'm sorry. You grab the chair and comfort it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like you stub your toe and you say you're sorry, but somehow someone's still telling you you're going to hell for all eternity. It's very weird. It's very For sure. For <laughs> sure. I, the best in my I family. Like, say about that. <laughs> I like what you said about how it's supposed to make sense. And, and when it doesn't make sense, when the devil just comes in, it's... It's like, no, there's supposed to be order. There's supposed to be rules. You do the right things and you go to heaven. But, but no. Yeah, that, that's another layer to the dark and the wicked that I really enjoyed, which is, yeah, Catholicism is like you get a rule book, which is the Bible. And if you follow the guidelines, you get into heaven. So there was just this extra layer of terror where it was like, okay, what if the rules don't matter? And this is all random. And the devil can come into your home and claim your soul whenever he wants. And it's like, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. what we were taught. <laughs> Would you like another layer of creepy? Yes, please. The song that uh, he chose for Mother to sing, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. So, you know, the science side of me researched it. 
and found out that Joseph M. Scriven, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, had a life of absolute just torment. Mm. Uh, he was engaged, and not long before the wedding, his fiance drowned. Oh, wow. He was engaged again later. He came from Ireland. He went to Canada, Ontario. And then his second fiance died of pneumonia. And what you don't find on the religious sites is that he may have committed suicide. Wow. So it said uh, Scriven drowned in 1886 at age 66. It isn't known if his death was an accident or a suicide as he was in serious depression at the time. A friend reported, we, sat, we left him about midnight and withdrew to an adjoining room not to sleep, but to watch and wait. You may imagine my surprise and dismay when on visiting the room, I found it empty. All search failed to find a trace of the missing man until a little afternoon, the body was discovered in the water nearby, lifeless mm-hmm. and cold in death. Wow. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you, obviously, about if there were any haunted aspects of of the filming or the set. And you you mentioned one thing about the phone. Yeah, tell tell that story. So, you know, you know, I'm relieved that there weren't any really horror there. Uh, uh, but at the same time, kind of wanting it too, because I'm a fan of ghost stories at Girl Scout camp and stuff. And I asked some of the crew, and they told me that the phone, you know, the phone that plays a it's a plot device. You get the call from the mother, and from attempt from Charlie. It kept jumping off the wall. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if that happened once, I think I would be like, guys, I gotta leave. <laughs> and I think I told you it's okay to tell about the, the spirit in the room or is that too weird? No, 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 go ahead. Tell. There was something, whether it was a ghost or a remnant of a spirit, in the son's room, in Michael's room, which is also Brian's room that he would stay at when he visited. And uh, it didn't like me at first. And it was the sense was that it was really protective of Brian. And uh, there was a scene in the barn, which they cut some of the barn. I, I don't hate that they cut some of the stuff they cut because I just love the feel of the thing overall. But uh, I had to practice being really scared in the barn. And nobody was in the house. And I went, I'm going to go rehearse with the ghost. <laughs> and it was <laughs> great. It really, you know, I got the tingles. And, yeah. uh, and, and it was funny because, but then afterwards, the ghost liked me. I get a sense of like, yeah, you're okay. You're helping Brian. You're yeah, all right. Yeah. Can I just ask a question? Like, you, you know, you say you're a science person. You're also sensitive. You know, maybe this is a dorky question, but how do you kind of balance that when you're working on a project like this? Because it feels like, I mean, can you just shut one side off and just let the other one flow? Well, the, the fun thing about film is that it's both left and right brain. Stage is more right brain. Uh, But on film, if you move your left arm, you better move it the exact same way. You better remember how you moved it. Mm. You know, if you hug somebody, the hug has to look the same every take. So it's really quite a challenge. And for me, my challenge is not shutting down my heart. Uh, As a scientist, I need to shut that down a lot. And... um, Oh, I was debating telling you this story. Do I have time? Don't uh, don't debate, Julie. Tell us the story. 
Okay. <laughs> so, uh, because I did not know that the kitchen scene was a trope because I don't watch that much horror. So I decided that I would find the thing in me because I, I, I wish I was miser, but I'm method. I have to feel it. Mm. And, mm. uh, but if I can't feel it in character, I do substitution. And, um, I think I told Moran, I'm not a really good actor. I just had two really bad things happen to me this year. And one of them was uh, the death of my friend's son. Mm. And I wanted to do something that the emotional pain would be greater than any physical pain. And the physical pain would be a welcome relief. And um, her four-year-old son, three days before Thanksgiving, uh, started to choke. And uh, the mother was actually one of my team. I was her leader, project leader. And I knew that she was really competent with first aid. I knew she did everything she could, but they had to life flight him in. Turned out he had two varieties of flu and his breathing obstructed. And uh, they uh, pulled the plug two days later and he donated organs for seven kids. And as my 10-year-old friend said, so you're basically telling me he was a superhero. Wow. So um, instead of action, I would have Brian say, and I'm sorry, I get a little verklempt. Um, Harrison can't breathe. Time. Just, you know, it's all right. And uh, I would have uh, Elizabeth, who did the costume, and she would briefly show me a picture of Harrison. And if she showed it too long, I would become... I, I, the emotion would overcome and I would stop feeling it. It had to be really brief. Mm. And um, so they would show me a brief picture of Harrison. And uh, afterwards I talked to Harrison's mom and I told her and I said, I don't want to upset you. She said, like, you could upset me more than I already am. And I told her that I said to Brian, please just say, Harrison can't breathe. And she said, wait a minute, I've already written this up. Let me tell you what I wrote. She said three days before he died, Harrison was talking to me and saying, Mom, what happens when we die? She said, well, we don't really know, Harrison. And Harrison said, Mommy, I want to stop breathing and die. And oh. he said, yeah. yeah. Why would you say that? Wow. So I guess from there, since I've already outed, uh, Harrison appeared on set for me. Wow. Wow. And uh, walked away with my grandmother's ghost to let me know he was okay. Oh, man. And yeah. Wow. Redheaded, rosy cheeked little boy. And wow. Thank you for sharing so, that. Yeah. Uh, I had severe depression. I had clinical depression when I was young. And many times actors by really living the real feelings helped me get through the depression. So I wanted to honor that. I wanted to honor Brian by giving everything I could. And I oh, felt it's like it's so I interesting to hear all this because there were so many interesting nuances and, and layers to your performance. The very specific scene I'm thinking of obviously is the very intense one in the kitchen that we won't get into because spoilers, but there's just such a myriad of expressions okay. that wash across your face that I was just like, wow, this actress is really doing a lot in this moment and hearing this 
backstory and these these stories is really it makes sense because I was like, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. And if we want to bring it around to modern day, you know, some of the emotion in there was the stress that you feel from that much horror and grief. And sometimes it makes you uh, separate from God. It makes you angry. Mm. And uh, thinking about what we've all gone through during this year. And now it kind of seems understated. <laughs> compared. Yeah. I watched the movie uh, on, a computer, on my computer in my childhood bedroom at my parents' place in Wisconsin because I had come back to stay with them for a while uh, to do some election stuff. But now I look back because I need to be close to them and somehow I feel like maybe they're not unconnected. But I just remember feeling so weirdly excited that this movie was happening at this moment. I mean, furious because it, it made me so scared, but I felt like I was tapping into an emotional moment in the film that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for this exact time. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Would have seemed too big, maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just, on some uh, level, like imagine watching it on a big screen. Mm-hmm. There was something that made it more intense by watching it alone. Like the isolation felt very important. And uh, you know, what is it? You you know, you've talked about. You said this before, but knowing that people are watching it in isolation when you were able to make the film with, you know, the whole crew with Brian, with Marin, with, with all of the other actors and, and, you know, people, is that an odd feeling for you? It sounds funny, but when I watched it the first time and I got to see it at the Alamo draft house, uh, all the double mass and all that stuff, uh, and I just found it very beautiful. And this sounds funny, but I feel such love for all the people on the set and for everybody there. It was, ah, how do you describe it? It was just such a connection. And um, oh, I'll tell you that the guy playing Charlie, yeah. you know, he was going, yeah, whatever, you know, it's going to be a little small town. I'll get it done and I'll get out of here, whatever. And then he's going... Maybe if I mess up my last scene, we'll have to reshoot it so I can stay. Oh. Can I please stay? <laughs> oh, I love that. I mean, it makes sense, you know, like especially it being a small cast, small crew. I, I wanted to shift gears a little bit just because, you know, we're talking about how this film coming out in this moment of time feels very appropriate. But I, I wanted to yeah. get your take, Julie, on, on you know, horror goes through these ebbs and flows where sometimes as a genre, it's it's more popular, it's less popular, depending on the time. And horror is yeah. really having its moment right now. Um, probably one of the greatest horror renaissances in, in, in recent memory. Um, what about horror do you think appeals to people at this precise moment in time? Oh, gosh, you know, I, I don't think I'm as smart as you guys. You have to answer that. 
<laughs> I did remember seeing a, a movie about that and how you got more zombies during Republicans and you got more vampires during Democrats. Interesting. <laughs> I've never heard it parsed like that. That's really cool. So, but you uh, know- I mean, like the the fly came out when AIDS was there, and so disease was the worst thing that we could think of. Yes. So I don't know. I, I, I how, no, seriously, I have to leave that to you. And my horror viewing is sporadic. I tend to like things that have um, some thought to them. I, I really love, but really sorry, but really happy I saw Hereditary because, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But Midsummer, I, if you think of it as the greatest breakup movie ever, it. <laughs> Oh, I, awesome. I, I absolutely do. Yes. Uh, yeah. The, the only thing I said to my friend after I saw Midsummer was, and that's why I don't date graduate students. And <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I was, I was just going to jump on that and, and ask as someone who does feel a connection to a different, you know, to different planes, you know, to, to have a connection to the spirit world, like, does that, how does that impact your connection to, you know, I guess, scary things like scary movies? Because I don't have one, but I love scary movies. And that's a very recent I- So. I have friends that are really good at shielding, and they have shielded my house because apparently I'm a pretty tasty treat <laughs> to uh, spirits. <laughs> I have people I can call. Um, oh, uh, um, yeah, and, and just to make it an excuse for not being as weird, my sister's a lawyer, and she can see auras, and my brother's a doctor, and he can see dead people. So it, it kind of runs in the family. Wow, I love this balance of all the family members. Yeah, the very factual with the very spiritual. Um, so I just have one more question. And then, Meredith, if you have anything, feel free to follow up after me. But, Julie, I was just wondering, what has the response to the film been like? It's been wonderful. Um, you know, it's this is new this world is new to me and so it's been fun like being observer um and uh it's been wonderful it's been very gratifying that people are seeing it on different levels and on the very fan the fan person level where it's for the scares that's fun because i'm a sci-fi fan girl i'm an absolute i'm as my housemate says i am the dork and the wicked <laughs> not the dork <laughs> And um, uh, it's just been neat, and it's been really neat the support. And and before the end, I just have to tell you how wonderful uh, Michael Abbott knows that I have imposter syndrome, so he's actually sent me articles that praise my performance to let me know that I did okay. I got to tell you, the fact that you have—I mean, it makes me feel better because I have imposter syndrome a lot (laughs) in my life. But the fact that you, like, when I was watching you perform, I was just like you know, good on, good on Brian that he got this amazing seasoned actress in this role because she's doing so much with like Mm -hmm. silence. And I, at no point, and I swear, I'm not just kissing your ass at no (laughs) point was I like, wow, who is this poser? Oh no. (laughs) I was also well convinced that I just didn't recognize you, even though you'd probably been in like a thousand things. 
based in Texas. It was it was pretty intense. Oh, and I know you don't like you don't like redemption stuff. You didn't like the monster because it's like redeeming stuff. I love redemption oh. stuff. I oh um, god, thanks a lot, Allison, for blowing up my spot. Yeah, whoops, you know. whoops. <laughs> I I don't know. I was going through a I was going through a tough time. It was after the jilting. Thank you very much. So I was looking for a different kind of scene than something that had that emotional energy. I will revisit. Should have watched Midsummer. Should have watched Midsummer. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Midsummer hadn't been created yet, so I was just watching every scary thing I could find. But I now you gave me a perfect intro to a final question. You, you're a big sci-fi person. What is your preferred sci-fi universe? Oh my God, there's so many. Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm old enough that I grew up with Star Trek, so you know we'll always have a crush on Leonard Nimoy. And uh, my 20 minutes in heaven was actually paid to sit with six people and ask questions of Patrick Stewart, and he quoted. Macbeth for me. So I'm oh a my God. Shakespeare nerd and a Patrick Stewart. I nearly died. And I've had uh, dinner with Avery Brooks uh, <gasps> from Space Night. Oh my God. He's oh, and I got to do a play directed by Elizabeth Van Dyke, who actually knows Avery Brooks and so gave me like name dropping permission. And it was wonderful. So, um, and uh, Renee Aubuchonois. Oh, and I. I'm going to name drop a little bit. My my friend who I dated back at the Dallas Shakespeare Festival is in a, a show I like called Supernatural. His name is Jim Beaver. Oh, uh, it's so wild. You bring that. We were just talking about Supernatural like moments before we called you. <laughs> <laughs> wild. Oh, no, but I mean, he's great. He's been in. Also, he's been in everything. I mean, uh, well, no wonder you're a sci-fi nerd. You've met all the great ones. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I do the classics, I, and I love uh, Isaac Asimov. But uh, oh, 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 okay. I have name memory loss. Come on, help me. Uh, who did the Blade Runner? It's based on. No, uh, I, Harl- no, uh, not Harlan. Was it Har- Harlan? No, it wasn't Harlan Ellison. I love Harlan Ellison, but no, it's uh, As it's Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick. Yeah. Because I like the level, the layers of uh, psychology. I like, I like, uh, I like smart sci-fi. Thank you so much for chatting with us for so long. I love yeah. this. Al- do you have anything else you? No, no. Just uh, thank you so much for being so open and gifting us with that amazing performance in the dark and the wicked. We so appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with us. That's uh, that's. I saw uh, Brian making me feel safe enough to do that and making me want to do that for him and for the audience. So well, if you talk back. with Brian anytime soon, um, we would <laughs> love to have him on the show. And, and if he's not willing to do that, just please thank him for making another wonderful film that we enjoyed. I will, I will do that. <laughs>